and all of our children for Children's Church. You can follow Mr. Paul and Miss Stephanie, and they'll take you back there for Children's Church. And I just want to say a word for all the kids. Um, I've heard you, you guys do a great job. All of our children's church volunteers, let's just, for God's glory, give them a hand. There are so many people that have just stepped up and said, I believe, I believe that children are valuable. And Jesus said, right? Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. So, uh, amen. Paul, you behave back there, all right? All right. Paul turned 25 the other week, so he's still a young buck. Let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be uh, in verses 10, 11, and 12 this morning as we finish up our series on the Beatitudes. It's just the first section of verses that Jesus gives in Matthew 5. And we're going to look at a... uh, It's not really something that we like to talk about a lot in the United States. And it's about persecution. And before we jump into these verses, I want you to think for just a few moments, why does this matter to me if I'm an American, I can lawyer up, I have the Bill of Rights, I have guns, I've got a lot of guns, I know people who can defend themselves, I am a free man, I'm a free woman, and what we're going to talk about this morning probably will not be the life reality for most Americans. Now, some people say that it is possible in our lifetime to experience government persecution from the United States for being a follower of Jesus. That could happen. But in our history, we've been kind of exempt of this. So, this morning when we jump into this passage, especially for you parents, I want you to imagine what it would be like if if you're you, but you're not an American. You were... You're overseas somewhere. You're Chinese. You're someone who's been born in the Islamic Republic of Iran. And someone shared Jesus with you. And you got saved. And you knew that if that got out, that you would be put to death. Like, not just thrown in prison, but put to death. Or if you're behind a communist country... And you know that, especially in China, they will, they'll throw you in jail. They will take away your property. And I want, especially you parents, I want you to answer this question in your mind this morning. If that was your reality, and you knew today what you know about Jesus, but you were just over there. You knew that Jesus had saved you. You knew that He was worthy to live all of your life for. That Jesus is worth it all. Amen, church? I mean, every every tear, every imprisonment, every wrong word, every beating inside, you you knew that it was worth it because you loved Jesus. But your situation was different because you had no government way to get yourself out. The only thing you had was Jesus. And the question that I want all of us to face this morning is a pretty serious one. It's that how would that affect our walk with Christ? Let's start in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 10. The Bible says, these are the words of Jesus, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, or literally slander you, 
and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Here's what Jesus says to do, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, or rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now let's ask ourselves a question here. Why would someone persecute and slander a follower of Jesus? And to take it in context, let's back up uh, just a few verses there in the beginning of chapter 5. Look at verse 3. Jesus is teaching and He says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit means that you're not arrogant or prideful. Wouldn't you much rather be around a person who is humble as opposed to arrogant and prideful? I mean, let's think of this from like a government top-down model. What government would say, you know what? We need more arrogant people in our society. I mean, what we need, like imagine on the floor of the Congress, what we need is we need more people with road rage. Right? I mean, don't just yell at somebody. Get out of the car, man, and get that Louisville slugger and show Babe Ruth how it's done on their bumper. That's what we need in society. Like, nobody turns on TV during the middle of the day and sees people on Jerry Springer, for example, and says, you know what? This is good for society. We need more model families like this. This is what we need to make a great world. Nobody says that. Sometimes we enjoy it because we can feel better that that's not us. Y'all all right? Watch those shows. Well, man, I'm all right compared to them. So that Jesus says that blessed are you when you're poor in spirit, when you're humble. And then go, go to the next verse, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What this world needs is more of us who mourn over our own sin as opposed to causing other people to mourn for our sins. Are we okay in church this morning? Y'all all right? You see, Jesus is saying, when I come into a person's life, this is what I produce. Not only that, but in verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek doesn't mean weak, but it means to have power under control. How many of you would say that this world would be a little bit better off if we had more self-control? Can I see your hand this morning? More self-control. More of, you know what? This person really just hacked me off. And I've got a great one-liner. I mean, I have a zinger of zingers. I could put them in their place. I could put their mom in their place. I could put their dog in their place. I, You know what I'm talking about? You've got the magazine fully loaded of selfish, prideful comebacks, and you're just ready to flip it to full auto. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek, those who have their power under the control of the Holy Spirit. Go, go, go to verse, uh, verse number 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Who hunger and search, they seek after the righteousness of Christ, which Christ is morally perfect. Now, can we do just a straw poll this morning? And I know this is a Baptist church. How many of us love some down-home country cooking? Can I see your hand this morning? All right. Most of us and the rest are liars. All right? So most of us, man, we love to eat. We love it. I mean, when you come home and you've been working, you've been stressed out, and you have that meal that has been prepared, 
by your husband or your wife. Or that it has been picked up by your husband and your wife and prepared by somebody at the hub or wherever it is. And you walk in and you've got that sweet tea and you're just like, I am starving. And that food just says, I'm here for you. You know what I'm talking about? And you eat it and there's that satisfaction. But we know that we have to eat again and again and again and again to stay healthy. Jesus says, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst after me. When you desire me. When you want to follow me. When you want to know what my will is. Because this is just a little note, especially within the relation of families. Husbands and wives, when you serve Jesus and when you're seeking him... Let me just say this. If your wives, if your husband is seeking Jesus, that is the greatest blessing that you could have. That Jesus has touched him, touched his heart, and he's in church, or he's reading his word, or he's actually open to the things of Jesus. To where it used to be, we never talk about Jesus, but now he's wanting to talk about Jesus. And he's wanting to just have a, a prayer over the meal, starting out small, going to go big. He's wanting to, to talk about the Lord to the children. And you're just like, who are you? And what did you do with my husband? That's an incredible blessing because here's the thing. Whenever God begins to draw a man to himself, when Jesus begins to speak to a full-grown American man and says, you're mine, I'm going to change you, son. And the man listens and says, I'm reporting for duty. You ladies should get a little bit crazy Pentecostal. Amen? Because we're not going to let everybody preach the sermon, but we'd be here all week for people giving examples and upon examples upon examples of men who are not following Jesus who drastically damaged their wives, their families, their children because they were not following God. And guys, let me just say this too. If God is working upon your... If you're dating someone or if you're, you're already married to the girl and she is responding to Jesus, she's wanting to go to church, she's wanting to study the Word, that is an awesome thing because you need to mark it in your Bibles, bro. Proverbs 31, when you read that, you're like, man, it's not all about her trying to be something she's not. It's all about her just saying, Jesus, make me what you'll have me to be. And that ought to cause any guy to say, you know what? If my woman backs me, if she is willing to hunger and thirst after righteousness with me, I will get on a tricycle, I heard this before, and get a water pistol and storm the gates of hell, bro, because she's behind me waving a bulletin saying, I'm for you. Because she loves Jesus. And if she loves Jesus, only then can she truly love you. That old song, looking for love in all the wrong places, Jesus says, Blessed, favored are you when you hunger and search after righteousness. Notice there in verse number 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. There's no one who says, you know what we need? To make Franklin County a better place, we need more cruelty. That's what we need. We need more cruelty to animals, cruelty to children, cruelty within con- within work environments. We need more backbiting. We need more traitors within friendships and relationships. No, nobody says that because Jesus is saying, look, this is not only what I can do in your life, but when I do this in your life, you're in a family. You're in a job. You're in a city. You're in a nation. So listen, when Jesus... When Jesus changes a person, 
It changes the family. And then when the family gets changed, the town gets changed. And when the town gets changed, the region gets changed. And then when the region gets changed, the nation eventually gets changed. And that's how God changes the world. One person at a time. Can I get an amen? Amen. We serve a big God. A God who's able to. If you want to take this down. Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 19 and 20. Jesus says through the Apostle Paul, that he is able, speaking of God, to do exceedingly, check this out, for those of you that, like me sometimes, lack faith, he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. You got a problem? Let's go old school him. Take it to the Lord in prayer. A lot of times we like to take it to the pill bottle in prayer, take it to the bottle in prayer. Without prayer, I guess. But we should take it to the Lord in prayer. Not only that, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. If you were here two weeks ago, we talked about this, the whole message on Sunday morning. That a peacemaker is not someone who is weak. A peacemaker is not the guy who just walks in and says, Well, can't we just all get along? And you're thinking, I could beat that dude up with my little toe tied behind the other toe's back. Like this guy has no backbone. He's weak. It's not that. But a peacemaker, in order to be a peacemaker, has to go where? Where there's war. If you're just around peace, you say, I'm a peacemaker. Well, it's already, it's already peace. Application point for those of us who've been saved. Do we associate with people who've not been saved? The Bible says that if a person has not repented of their sins, then they're an enemy of God. Wow. That's heavy. So for us, we are called to be peacemakers to intervene and bring them to a knowledge of God that brings them to peace. And then verse 10. Why in the world would Jesus say, Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake? Because everything that we just talked about would help families and societies and governments, right? I mean, think about how crazy it actually is. And I'm going to give you some statistics this morning. How insane it is for a government or for a family to persecute someone for following Jesus. Because when a son begins to follow Jesus, Jesus is going to make him into the son that he should be. Who through the power of God will be able to honor the father and the mother. I read something the other day by a psychologist that says uh, that mental illness is hereditary. Your children can give it to you. Just let it. There's some people just let it flow. They'll get it in a minute, right? I mean, sometimes it's just like, this is driving me crazy. But if someone truly follows Jesus, then they're going to be the best. They're going to be someone that you want to be around. Someone that is merciful to you. Because let me just make a note here, uh, back on verse number 7. When Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, man, I don't know about you. But sometimes when I mess up and I don't act the way I should, especially with family, and just because we live a long ways apart doesn't mean you can't get into it on the phone. Can I get a witness? And when I know that I've done wrong, and I have to say those hard seven words, I was wrong, will you forgive me? In those moments, when through the grace of God, He he humbles me, I don't want somebody 
hold, you know, like, like the movie Thor, he's got that big hammer. I don't want him holding dual hammers of retribution and revenge saying, I was waiting for him to mess up. Go ahead and set yourself over the sacrificial altar. And they begin to just beat you and beat you over the head with guilt and all of this craziness. No, we want people who are willing to give us mercy, don't we? And through Jesus, He allows us to be the ones who give mercy when some people need judgment. Everybody wants to be around somebody like that. So we have to ask the question, why after all of this awesome truth does Jesus say, you know what? You guys get changed by me. You surrender your life to me. You better put your helmet on because the war is just starting. It's, an, it's totally reversed. So the question here is, what kind of world are we living in? Or we're living in a crazy one, aren't we? Now, I mentioned uh, when we started this message a few moments ago that uh, we're Americans, probably most everybody here. And uh, as Americans, we have rights. Amen? So like, I don't know if I'm supposed to say amen. Is he going to call me out? We have rights. We have representation. We have, according to the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms. Nobody said amen. I was figuring Rocky Mount Baptist Church would get a big amen for that. I mean, this whole thing about persecution, in the back of our minds, we hear about this stuff, these people in these foreign countries, you got the security busting down the door, dragging out pastors, dragging out moms, throwing them in prison, brutalizing people. You're like, you just try that here. I'll be waiting in the hills with a laser scope zeroed in on your melon and we're going to see who leaves then. Don't tell me you don't think that. But for a person who has no option, what is it like to be in their shoes? Let me give you a statistic here from an article. It says, according to the International Society for Human Rights, a secular observatory based in Frankfurt, Germany... 80, check this out, 80% of all religious discrimination in the world today is directed at Christians. Statistically speaking, that makes Christians by far the most persecuted religious body on the planet. Now, there's some reasons why a lot of us may not be aware of that. Number one, uh, the media rarely reports on it. All right? Now, this is not a political hobby horse. This is simply a fact. If you look at independent news, you will know that in Africa right now, Christians are being killed. In, in Pakistan specifically, Christians are being killed. Uh, the, the media did a okay job when all this stuff was happening in Egypt. Do you remember all the churches, right? All the churches that were burned, all the buildings, and all the people that were persecuted. I'll never forget there was this picture of this, this church building that had been burned and all that was left with the, was the pillars. And there was a small group of Egyptian Christians still meeting in there. Saying, you know what, you can burn down the building, but I serve a God who made the whole world, so bring it on, right? And it's not out of an arrogant self-righteousness to stand up and say, I'm a Rambo Christian, but it is simply faith in God. So the question is whether we suffer persecution for Jesus here in the United States or whether we never do, let's ask some questions about suffering. Because Jesus says, you know, blessed are you when you suffer. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. But the question for us to answer is how do we know when we fit into the specific suffering? 
All suffering is not equal. And if you're taking notes, we have four criteria to examine yourself with whenever you go through difficult times. Number one, when you go through times of suffering, persecution, relational drama, all right, uh, ask this question. Am I suffering because of wrong attitudes? We know often within relationships that they say it's not what you say, but it's what? It's how, right? It's how you say it. Do I have a wrong attitude? Is that the reason why these people are angry with me? Number two, my words. Am I suffering because of unwise, sinful words? And let me ask you this question. Are you one, are you one of those people that says, I'm just going to speak my mind? Ever been around one of those? Right? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stick my chest out and say, I'm just gonna speak my mind and just let the chips fall where they may. I'm gonna let everybody know what I think. Well, that's not what the Bible talks about when it refers to courage. Usually when we have that attitude to say, you know what, I'm just gonna speak my mind, that's out of pride, is it not? And the Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There are times that we need to speak out, but I, if you're taking notes, you, this may be something good to write down. Am I speaking out for Jesus or am I speaking out for myself? Usually when we get worked up and fired up, it's because I am, I am, you know, I'm the man, I'm the woman. These are my rights and we're speaking out for us as opposed to like the apostles did to speak out for Jesus. So is my attitude right? Are my words right? And then also, are my actions right? Have I sinned against somebody? Have I told a lie to someone? Have I, have I slandered someone? Have I violated what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, which is to build each other up? Have I used my words as, as an axe to cut people down as opposed to using my words to build other people up? You see. Not only that, but my motives. And this is really the heart issue. And if you're, if you're new to church, if uh, this may be, you know, I, I don't know really what's going on here, or you're new back, what we're about at Rocky Mount Baptist Church is not a list of religious rules. Amen, church? We don't believe that we're righteous because of what we wear, whether we wear a suit coat or whether we wear a tie or whether we come in shorts and blue jeans. If you came in shorts this morning, you get man points because, brother, it was cold. But we believe that it is all about following Jesus, church, right? That it's through His grace in our life that we don't serve Him to get His favor, but because He's so lovingly offered us the gift of salvation, we want to serve Him because He's created us to do good works. So simply put, if our motives are right, and our words are right, and our heart is right, then there may be a time to where we would suffer for Jesus' sake. Notice what he says there in the text. He says in verse 10, blessed are the peace, or excuse me, verse 10, yeah. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. To persecute means to harass someone. It means to suffer for the sake of Jesus. Not only that, but notice it says in verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Go to verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you. Now, if we can just have a moment of honesty, Whenever someone talks about you, most of us begin to see red, don't we? It's just like, you said this and it's not true. Or you said this and I thought that you weren't going to share that to anybody, but now it's making its way around the town. 
We talked about this in jail ministry yesterday, and this segues right into this verse. And that usually when people talk about us, all right, if they talk about us and we, we're like this, you know what? I know I need to get that right. They're exactly right, but I just wish they didn't point it out because it hurts when people point out what's wrong in my life. That is God using them to bring us to where we need to be. Y'all all right? He has brought them sovereignly into our life to push us to a place of repentance. But then on the other hand, if they're actually telling lies, as Jesus says here, reviling us and uttering all kinds of evil against you falsely, like it's totally lies. People come up to you and say, you know, I heard, did you really? And you're like, what? I wouldn't even think that. There's no. But yet this person is spreading lies. Guess whose camp you're in at that point? Who was, who was lied about? Who, who was the one who was called, and we're going to clean this up, but the son of an illegitimate woman? They said, you were born in sin. In other words, your mom Mary is a prostitute. She couldn't wait. And then, and, and then not only that, but, but how everybody left Jesus. And then Simon Peter was given those chances. And they said, you're one of those disciples because we know that the way you talk because you're from Galilee. And, and Peter says, I don't know him, I don't know him. And he denied Jesus. Jesus has been lied about. Jesus has been backstabbed. So even if what the person says is totally untrue, that is the pristine, the perfect time for you and I to understand what it means to be accused falsely. But usually our reaction is, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and get my people and then you get your people. And we're not going to put on gang colors. We're not going to throw down. We're not going to be the bloods and the crips. But we're definitely going to have ours and, and yours. And we've seen that happen in churches before, have we not? To where there's divisions within churches. There's a verse, if you want to write this down, it's in 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 14. And if I... If I'm a little wound up this morning, man, I missed y'all last week. Last Sunday, we were flying across the Atlantic Ocean during church service, and I had emails, man, I had Facebook messages ready to go to encourage you guys on Sunday morning, and some of you, but we couldn't get the internet to work. I don't know why. We're like 30,000 feet in the air, and we're flying over the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know why it wouldn't work. And uh, some of y'all would be like, man, I was going to sleep in today, but that sucker got internet access as is telling me to go to church on Sunday morning when he's 30,000 feet in the air. So, man, I missed y'all. I had encouraging messages ready to go. So I've not preached in two weeks. We had a lot of speaking in Romania. So if I scare y'all, just it'll be okay. All right? So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14. And listen what the apostle writes. He says, if you are insulted... For the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. First Peter, let's go back a chapter. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Let's stop right there. We realize that in a nation of laws... The government should want people to follow the words of Jesus. 
Think about it. The Ten Commandments, I think it's so crazy in our nation, right? We've got some people who want the Ten Commandments taken out of the schools to have the monument removed. And I'm just like, now hold on. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but we've got school shootings. We've got middle schoolers who are experimenting with drugs and with premarital sex. We've got disrespect in the classroom. And and let's just not have the Ten Commandments put up on the wall because somebody may end up obeying it, right? I mean, think about it. Think about it. Honor your father and your mother. Boy, it'd be terrible if people did that. Thou shalt not murder. I mean, my goodness. But the context in which Peter was writing in, and sometimes we get this mixed up in our Bible studies, it was during the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. Until the Caesars really began to get crazy, Rome did not have a problem with Christianity. They didn't. Now, they didn't support it. It was just kind of like whatever you want to believe, that's fine. But when a government begins to be all about governmental power from the top, then anything that threatens the government power, the government doesn't like. Y'all okay? Like when we have our precious little tykes. So for those of you that don't know, we've got a little preschool here. And they come in once a month and we do chapel. And they sit right there on that front row. And we teach them how to pray to the Lord. And they take their little hands and they put their little hands together. Say, we bow our heads so we don't get distracted. And I look up and some of them are like this. You know, just like adults in a church service, right? Come to invitation, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Some of y'all like... You know, looking all around and putting purses up. I mean, and they're just, they're just right there and they're learning about Jesus. And we get down and, and we talk about Bible stories and some of the kids are just like, like sensory overload and they're, they're learning about Jesus. It's such a precious thing. A government that cares about the people should say, you know what? If those little kids listen to the message of Jesus, they're going to grow up to be good. I mean, Hard workers, he who shall not work doesn't eat. They're going to be good fathers and good mothers, and they're going to love their country. They're going to be merciful. Uh, They're going to listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, who says to go to those who are in jail. Read prison rehabilitation. It was so much fun yesterday when we went to to jail ministry. One of the guys, he's a real big guy, and and I said, are you still keeping up with your workouts? And he said, yeah. Up to about a thousand push-ups now, I said, for a week. And he said, no, a day. I was like, well, you get two man cards for that. And he said, it got a little boring, so now I have a guy, another guy stand on my back when I do push-ups. I said, how big is the man? He says, about 200 plus pounds. I said, well, well, don't call him a dumbbell, right? How many dumbbells do you use in your workout? And so forth. But it's just amazing when we, when we really think about what Jesus said. I mean, ministering to people who need it. In Matthew chapter 25, in an ancient world that had no hospitals, that had no type of support for people who were beggars and so forth, Jesus says, you know what? When I change you, you go to those people. Amen. When you, the whole church growth thing, don't look for people who have great jobs and a lot of income, who can make your budget bigger. You go like a heat-seeking missile and find jacked up people. You find people whose marriage is on the brink. You find people who have no money to give and the offering. And if you do it to the least of these, I am there. You have done it unto me. What an awesome promise from Jesus. 
So again, the question about government persecution, why do these governments around the world, why historically have they tried to eradicate and destroy Christianity? Well, because the Bible says that there is a spiritual being called Satan. And yes, there is a preacher in 2013 and the year of our Lord who still believes that Satan is real. It's not just mythology. And that Satan is at war against God. And that Satan is in control of many people around the world who don't believe in God. So it would make sense, would it not? That if Satan is in control of these people in Muslim areas, and in Hindu areas, and in communist areas, to try to stomp out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to 1 Peter. In verse number 14, it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. No fear. No fear. If they're coming for me, how can I not have fear? Verse 15, the Bible says, But honor, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a hope that is in you. Yet do it. Check this out. Fireballs. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is far better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Jesus said, Blessed are you when you are slandered for my sake. But then we're here in the U.S. And if you were with us, Lee mentioned this in Sunday school this morning, about six months ago, we had a representative from the Voice of the Martyrs. And if you're taking notes, go ahead and write down V-O-M, V-O-M dot org, or Voice of the Martyrs. It's a Christian organization based out of Oklahoma that connects with the persecuted church all around the world. Our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We may speak different languages. We may look different than them. But they love Jesus, and we love Jesus. The Voice of the Martyrs works with them and tries to support them when they're thrown into prison and so forth. You remember that one of the things that the speaker said is, don't just pray for those who are being persecuted, but pray for the ones who are doing the persecuting. Now this is something that's very, very hard for me to understand. But throughout the New Testament, we see the power of God is not in The violence that we can commit, but the violence that we as believers in Jesus Christ can receive and absorb through the grace of God. There's an early Christian martyr named Polycarp, P-O-L-Y-C-A-R-P. Have you ever read the book of Revelation? It's kind of tough, isn't it? The Apostle John wrote that. Well, guess who the Apostle John's number one pupil was? Polycarp. So this is a guy who knew the Apostle John up close and personal. And the Apostle John was with Jesus. And this was around 155 A.D. And the the, the Roman, it was no longer the Roman Republic, for those of you history scholars. It was no longer Pax Romana. It was no longer the rule of law. It was the rule of crazy dictator Caesars. And it had gotten to the point where the Caesars made everyone in the Roman Empire come and take a little pinch of incense and kneel down before this altar and throw the incense into the fire. It just kind of sprout up like that and make a sweet-smelling smell. 
And all they would have to say is Caesar is Lord. Three simple words. Caesar is Lord. And the Christians wouldn't do it. Because why? Help me out, church. Who is Lord? Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And that is a radical step in the move of civil disobedience in the Bible when you read it in the Greek language because the same word that they used for Lord for Caesar, the New Testament writers used it and said, you got the Lord thing wrong. It's not Caesar. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Imagine what some church growth people, some people in America would say. say Hold on now, Polycarp. Polycarp, they, you're a leader. You've got influence. Everybody looks up to you. You've written books. You knew John. So what you could do to reach a lot of people is instead instead of just saying, I'm not going to burn incense to Caesar and then kill you, you could just kneel down and in your heart say, Jesus is Lord, but your mouth would just say, Caesar is Lord, and just throw that little, just a little bit of incense. And then that way you'd be able to minister to a lot more people. Well, Polycarp had not been influenced by political correctness. Amen? And here's what he said. When the proconsul, proconsul said this, Have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. And Polycarp grimly looked at the multitude in the stadium. And they were calling the Christians atheists because the Christians said there's one God instead of many. And they were saying, Polycarp, say Caesar is Lord and down with the atheists. So instead of doing that, Polycarp looks at all of the people that were surrounding them and he points at them and he says, down with the atheists. And the proconsul says, swear and recant or reproach, turn away from Christ and I will set you three. And Polycarp said these words, quote, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How now can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And Polycarp, being a man who is well into his 80s, for the name of Jesus Christ, was persecuted, reviled, on the account of Christ. But look at verse 12. Rejoice, Jesus says. Rejoice. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For not... Not only are you going to be in heaven, but they persecuted the prophets which were before you. Guess what? If you and I one day are persecuted for being followers of Jesus in the United States of America, it won't be anything new. It'll be something that from the very beginning when Cain hated Abel because Abel served God out of faith. It's continued all throughout the centuries. And so the final question for us, do we believe the words of Jesus? That Jesus says there's going to be the blessings of persecution. You're going to be surrounded by a great multitude of heroes. You're going to be given spiritual blessings. You're going to be with God the Father in heaven. But a question that popped up in my mind as I was studying this text is this, for those of us who are Americans. If there was a tribunal in Rocky Mount and we were tried for being followers of Jesus Christ, question, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Think about it. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, humility, love for others, willingness to serve, willingness to give, love for Jesus, a passion for the Word of God, and a very visible telling other people about Jesus Christ. 
Or would it be we would stand before that tribunal and they would call our name. They would say the accusation is that you are a Christ follower. And the prosecutor would say, other than Sunday morning church attendance, we have no evidence that they truly are Christians.